Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. So this morning I want to carry on that theme of praying um, and I want to speak about the prayer of faith. Um, You know, when I was a child, I um, grew up in an environment, as many of you would know, um, which quite quickly I began to realise that some people had a lot less than uh, some people had sort of less than me. But I realised that most people had more than me. Uh, and um, I realised that um, when I was in primary school, there was a, there was a lad in. He was in the same class as me, but he was a little bit. I think he was ultimately a, a year younger. You know how they would split years up in primary school, and and uh, his name was Dean. And, and I always remember him because he had the most. It's bizarre when you think about the sort of things that you remember about your friends. But I remember he had this olive skin that was flawless. You know how you meet some people who have. <laughs> They just have the most olive, perfect, flawless skin. And you look at them and you can't quite believe it's real. And, and, uh, and he was like this. He, he, he was this he was incredible, just, just a, one of those sort of really lovely, happy faces with, with, with blonde hair. And, and I remember he came to school one day with something that I had never seen before. Well, it was, I'm sure they had existed for many years before I had seen them. But in our village... Um, no one had I ever seen wearing a pair of trainers. I had never seen a pair of trainers, and he came to school wearing a pair of trainers. And, and I, was, I was so jealous at that moment because all I had, all anybody else had was black plimsolls. Who remembers the plimsolls you would have, you'd wear in the gym? Well, I only ever had one pair of shoes. Um, I had a pair of shoes that I wear to uh, school, and then on Saturdays I had to take the shoes clean them, polish them, get them ready for church on Sunday. And then that would take me through. I never cleaned them again until the following Saturday. And so by the time I got to uh, Friday, uh, they were scuffed up. And as you can imagine, a a schoolboy shoes. And the only pair of shoes, um, footwear that I really had was my shoes and black plimsolls. And occasionally, um, we would get something uh, like sandals, Jesus creepers, really. Uh, And... uh, (laughs) We would have these Jesus creepers for holiday, and um, and sometimes we'd wear them with socks, and uh, and that was it. We had no other. I, I grew up in a I grew up in an environment. I I never we never had a uh, a colour team. In fact, I never got a TV at all until I was eleven, and then it was an old black and white valve set that was um, at least a foot deep. Uh, and uh, when you turned it on, you have to wait for it to warm up, and the picture would come onto the screen. When you turned it off, it would disappear into a little spot in the middle of the screen, and you could, you could cook an egg on the back of the television, and you could smell the dust burning on the valves. And, and um, so I, I, never, I never had a bicycle. I, I never even had a pair of jeans. I, the, these are all of these things I had after I left school and, and earned some money to buy them for myself. Um, I, but the one thing I discovered that there was there's a lot of people who, who seem to have a lot more than me. They, he, he, the one thing that we believe in our lives is that while we say that everyone is equal, we don't feel like we're born equal. 
We really don't feel like we're born equal. And I, I used to feel like that. I used to feel disadvantaged that that's just people had more than, than I did. And, and, you know, but the Bible says here in James chapter 5 and verse 13, it says this. James 5, 13. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praise. Is any among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will restore him to health. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The urgent request of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Now, I want to stop right there because I I need you to understand that this... Scripture is so powerful. Peter is writing such a powerful demonstration of what prayer does that he has to follow it up with with an understanding of how we can create that kind of environment where we see those things happen. Because we live in a world where our prayers are not so as effective as what the Bible promises. Much of the time. Who's with me here? Our prayer life is often not as effective as what the Bible promises. And so Peter writes this and he's aware that the listeners are thinking the same thing. That they're looking at it thinking, right, if you're sick, you call the elders. And, and you might be looking at the elders in this church and thinking, well, I don't know whether they're that good. <laughs> you're gonna, you pray for the elders, they're anoint head and you will be healed. I, I need you to understand when, when I get a, pr- a phone call for someone, will you come, lay hands on me, anoint me with oil and, heal, and pray for me to be healed? I believe I'm, I will be healed. I have seen the most tremendous miracles. I've seen the most tremendous miracles. So you've got to have faith that, that these things can happen. But, but Peter is writing here and he needs the church to understand that how this prayer of faith works. In verse 17 he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit. Now, this is an extraordinary statement because he, he starts this by saying, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. There's one thing I know with human nature is that we... We measure people, we measure their intellect, we measure their gifting, we measure their finances, we measure all of these different aspects, and we consider ourselves not equal. You read the Bible about Elijah, and I can guarantee you feel just a little bit intimidated by him. You know that if you were to meet him, you'd be like, oh, because of the power of his ministry life. Are you with me here? But the Bible is saying Elijah was like you and me. And suddenly we begin to realize that the prayer of faith is not limited to the gifted few, the the, the chosen ones who are slightly elevated above everyone else, the ones who, who have just a slightly better life, a slightly stronger gifting, a, a, a slightly more power and influence, a slightly slightly more something that, that gives them that little bit of advantage. Because I know human nature is constantly measuring all the wrong things. 
See, God isn't impressed with your degree. He, he's, not, he's not disappointed with your lack of effort at school. He, he, is, not, he is not touched by, by your, your gifting or your ability. He considers none of those things as important as when it comes to serving him and being effective in your prayer life. So you cannot take the things of the circumstances of your life and consider yourself less or more when it comes to an effective prayer life. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. The reality of Elijah's nature is that while he was powerful and prophetic and gifted by God, he was also extraordinarily emotional. He was very reactive. He was afraid. He was extremely sensitive to the environment. He felt victimized, felt like, oh God, I'm the only one. Well, he wasn't the only. How many times have I heard people say, no one understands me? It's one of the most common things anyone says when they're going through a hard time. And I just look at them and I think, oh, give me a break. No one understands me. Well, who gives a rip? <laughs> who, gives, who gives a rip? No one understands me. What, what, why, do, why do people ever say that? That's, it's like, what, you're so special? <laughs> How can you elevate yourself in such a way? That my problem is far greater than anyone else's. Your problem is unique to you. Your challenges you have are unique to you. So sure, what you're going through, not everyone can fully identify in every way, but that's irrelevant. That's not the point. It's not the issue. There is nothing about your life which is greater or lesser than anyone else's. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. All right? And what happens is, is we magnify the wrong things. We, what we do is actually we magnify our humanity and we minimize our calling. All right? We magnify our humanity. We, we minimize our calling. And so this morning, I, I want you to understand that, you see, God wants you to know the nature of the prayer of faith. So this morning, I'm going to, I did three points um, in the first, uh, in my first two months. I'm going to do three points again. Is that, is that good? You can, some of you are beginning to take notes now. You never used to write notes because I never used to do points. But, but I'm going to, I, I've gotten into these points. I think they well, well, keep them going all the time you're writing notes. And, and so I want to speak on three indisputable laws of the, of the, of the prayer of faith. All right? Three indisputable laws of the prayer of faith. The first one is, number one, the first law is believe you have received before you can see it. Yeah. Believe you have received before you can see it. Mark eleven twenty two. Perhaps one of the most important scriptures ever spoken by Christ on faith. Mark eleven twenty two says this. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Now this Statement he's saying to him is following um, a moment that Jesus had um, cursing a fig tree, which in itself is, you know, an unusual scenario. Have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, 
Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. See, the key to understanding of being able to receive or or receive something is that you've got to believe you've already got it before you got it. I find that most of us are, are, tend to be a little bit practical. I'm not going to say I'm healed if I'm not healed. What happens is we try and sort of emotionally get ourselves in a state of, oh, I'm believing. But I need you to understand what believing is if, you need, if you're going to know how to receive it. See, Jesus says, he says, um, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says uh, to this mountain, be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things will be done. Now, I need how I'm going to ask you a question here, because uh, I get the suspicion that that all of us have prayed a prayer and we've believed in our heart, but we've also doubted at the same time. And the reason why we've doubted is because our believing is not based on our faith, but it's based on our hope. It's not faith, it's hope. Now, hope is good. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, faith is the substance. Brian is a substance. He's not an apparition. I had faith that would be here. (laughs) Faith. Faith is a substance. So faith is something that is guaranteed will happen. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. You see, hope sanctifies the mind. But hope is something that gives birth by the process of your thinking. It sanctifies the mind to the heart and the heart believes. Jesus said, believe those things which Jesus says says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart. We hope and we try and turn it into faith. We hope with our mind. We believe with our heart. You with me here? It's really important to understand the difference. The difference between what you think you're hoping for. Have you translated it into an inner conviction of your heart? Here's the truth. Everything that is in your heart becomes a substance in your life. Everything that is in your heart becomes a substance in your life. Now, you need to understand that that your heart can possess turmoil. Turmoil will be a substance of your life. See, doubt, the mind hopes. I hope. But doubt comes from the substance of your heart because faith has yet to take a hold of it. You with me? So Jesus said, you've got to believe. Now, if we are going to find faith, We have to get faith in our heart. 
to get faith into our heart, we have to begin to allowing our mind to just conceive and to believe and to soak ourselves in the presence of God. To see, we, we try too soon to try and grab a hold of something. When, when often there is such little demand for true faith in our life that, that we don't have to pray for anything. And then one day somebody gets sick with something that is so terrible that the doctors can't fix. And then you want to get faith. But Bible says that faith, faith can be a, see, everyone's given the measure of faith. It's a measure of Christ. Nobody is given more or less. Everyone's given the same measure, all right? The same measure of faith. I haven't been given more faith than anyone else. I've known, I've had good friends who who've, I've seen do extraordinary things. They, they didn't get more faith than me. The, the, the difference is what you do with your faith. Jesus was astonished at the weakness of their faith. At the, Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith. And then he says to the centurion, never have I seen such great faith. So faith is what you germinate in your heart by how you sanctify and purify your thinking. Does that make sense? You, you sanctify your thinking, allowing things to germinate in your heart. You see, the things that are settled in your heart become the substance and the reality of your life. It becomes the substance of your life. If you doubt in your heart, then doubt becomes the substance. If you believe in your heart, then the things which you believe, one of the things that I found while I'm praying is that when I'm praying, instead of praying according to what I'm hoping for, I pray according to what I know my heart knows. And there's a difference. Because there's a lot of things I'm hoping for. I'm hoping I can go down to the Land Rover place and buy a new Range Rover Velar. It's a very beautiful car with, with door handles that are smooth and you push them. and they, Anyway, let's not get into that. <laughs> I'm, 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 I hope that, right? I, I assure you I have no great confidence. It's, it doesn't exist in this part of who I am yet. Maybe one day, who knows? I sanctify my mind, Jesus. A Range Rover. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so there are things which I hope for. But when I pray, I ask the Holy Spirit, what is in my heart? And what is in my heart is what comes out of the true inner conviction, the true confession of who I am. And as I speak those things, those are the things that I know will happen. I have no shadow of doubt. I'm believing God for healing. I've got to know that healing's in my heart. If you want to see healing in your life, you've got to get healing in your heart first. Before the need of it. A soldier doesn't go off to war. You don't you grab a man off the street, give him a gun and go, work it out. He's not going to last long. He has to be trained how to go to war. If he's going to survive. 
And so we, you have to work it out in your heart. All right, number two, I could stick with this for a long time. All right, rest in God's word. Rest in God's word. That, that seems such a, an obvious thing to say. Jesus said this. This is amazing, right? Jesus said this in John 15, verse 7. We've come back to this scripture many times over the last few months. John 15 and verse 7 says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It's pretty bold, isn't it? If you abide in me and I abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it will be done for you. Now, either God is lying or he's not. I'm wise enough to be, believe that God doesn't lie. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my desire. Uh, disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You see, what you desire is framed around what he promises. And what he promises is written in the word of God. Now, what I've found is this, that we desire things of our natural nature, but they are not... We are not praying according to God's word. You with me here? Yeah. So if I'm asking you what you're praying for, oh, I'm praying, I'm praying, we, we, I get a new house, I'm praying, I, I get a, you know, a, a pay rise, I, I'm praying, I can, I'm praying my family. Well, well, what does the word of God say about what you're praying for? Yeah. And what scripture are you standing on when you pray? Because yeah. if you're not standing on a scripture then you're not standing on the place from which the fruit can come. Jesus says this, By this my Father is glorified that that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Abide in me and my word. See, the word of God gives you the sustenance to bring forth the fruit of God. Does that make sense to you? There have been many times in my life when I remember when we first planted the church. And I'm, we were going through just the many challenges that you go through in just trying to get the church established. And I was driving out. In fact, we had a, a, a couple who, who um, in the church and they were going through a very difficult time. But the difficult time was having a negative effect on everyone in the congregation. And I went out to see them, and this is where they, this is 20 years ago, and this is where they lived, right next door to where we live now. I didn't even know where that place was. I'd driven there, I'd driven back again, and it was only like a year after we moved into our current house that I suddenly remembered, wait a sec, I've been here before. (laughs) And uh, we actually prayed against a poltergeist that was in their house. And... uh, uh, but that's another. And then after I moved in, later talking to the farmer, we discovered all sorts of incredible stories from the f- local farmers about the place that I'd, I'm like, well, that makes, I've already been there, dealt with that issue, and now you're telling me what happened. Quite amazing. Anyway, here's his family, and I'm driving home in my inner heart. I'm going, God, right, ah, Jesus, I'm just praying prayers, right? Then the Holy Spirit speaks a prayer to me. And the gates of hell, it just comes out like this. And the gates of hell shall not prevail. It's a scripture. And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, shall not prevail. I will build my church 
and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. Became my prayer. I prayed that prayer. That was the end of the problem. That was just the end of the problem. You see, the scripture, when you stand on the word of God, the word of God brings forth the fruit of God. The Bible says that his word is a seed. It shall not return to him void. So you pray the word and the word produces fruitfulness. But you've got to find that word. I mean, you could just pray, I'll just pray anything. But as you pray, you pray according to the conviction of the word that God is putting in your heart. His word is to bring forth life. We have the word of God. You might have it in paper or you might have it on your phone, your iPad, on your computer. It could be anywhere. The word is so um, available to you now. On my, um, I changed my iPad to a, a mini iPad under Joe's um, advice. And um, the, only, the only challenge being to it is, is seeing it. Because yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a mini iPad now, so I've had to enlarge the print. Do you see how big the print is now? Look at that. So I've enlarged the print. But what I found is this. I can flick sideways and it can, on any app, I can be on Netflix, Right? I flick sideways and here comes the word of God. Isn't that awesome? It just comes up and I look at the word and I feel guilty and I turn off Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to get rid of it. Oh, there it is. The word of God is available to you by all means. Get the word of God flowing in your heart. Begin to pray according to the word and not according to your feelings. Your feelings will not produce fruitful Prayer. Your fear, your hurt, your anger, your frustration. Trust me, I've prayed all of those prayers many times. Never got me anywhere. I've even gone, God, why? What is this all about? Why? God, I'm the pastor of a church. I'm covering churches in Scotland. God, he's not impressed, by the way. God, why? Hello? <laughs> Anyone? Hello? 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 That <laughs> comes a brushwood rolling past. It's like, let's pray another prayer. I thank you, Lord, that you have anointed me to be a man of God in this city. Oh, hello. The Holy Spirit turned up. <laughs> I thank you, Lord, that you have touched my life with your word. Oh, his presence is carrying me. You can't, you can't pray according to your fears, your feelings, your emotions. He's not interested in them. He's not going to respond to them. Because they are not the issue. The issue is his word. He's given you his word. His word is the answer. You live in the word. End of story. No, there's, there's no... You can't negotiate this. You can't go, but God... He's not, he's not negotiating on your feelings. The feelings must submit to the word of God. The, the word of God will heal your feelings. Yes. He, he concerned over your feelings, but he needs you to take the medicine of his word for your feelings to be able to be healed. Does that help? Yeah. All right, my last point, because I've got 41 seconds left. Indisputable law of the prayer of faith. 
set for purpose. You must be set for purpose. 1 John 3 verse 22 says this. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave command. Now, he who keeps his commands abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. There's an old-fashioned word that we use in church. We don't really use that much these days, because we find it difficult to find a place for it to fit. And it's a word called consecration. To be consecrated. And um, I've done funerals on, on, on newly and freshly consecrated land. The, 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 the minister, Church of Scotland uh, ministers are actually legally allowed to consecrate land on their, uh, where they have um, uh, their funerals so that they can consecrate new land to be able to do funerals. And it, the, the consecrated land is land that is set aside uh, and it has a kind of a spiritual and a legal context. The, the, the spiritual context is from the church perspective. This, this land is precious. It's holy. It's set aside. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a, it's a righteous place. It's a place where it's just a good place. And, and from a legal point of view, it's now set aside for, for funerals. So you can, you can bury someone. But the Bible speaks about consecration for our whole life, that we can set aside our heart, set something aside for our life. That I was brought up in a traditional church that set Sundays aside as the Sabbath. Now, we actually know that according to Scripture, Jesus is our Sabbath. But, but trust me, if you don't consecrate a day of rest, then you, you ultimately you do pay the price for it. There have, been many, there have been many examples that the seven days, humanity has tried to move away from seven days because they don't like its uh, inference to scripture. And so they tried to create eight-day weeks. The, the um, atheistic uh, nations have created eight-day weeks, but it caused havoc, mayhem, sickness, all kinds of problems in society. You can't live an eight-day week. It's a seven-day week. Interesting, isn't it? And in that seven days, you've got to have one day that you rest. Even God needs to rest one day a week. (laughs) So there is a rest. It's It's consecrated. It's set aside. Here's the thing with prayer, your prayer life, right? Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. What's his commandment? That's the key issue, isn't it? What's his commandment? His commandment is to consecrate your heart to him. That's the commandment. If you, if you consecrate your heart, then you're set for purpose of serving him. You consecrate. You set it apart. You, you take it from where it is. Now, uh, the other day, um, Joe and uh, uh, Andy were in the kitchen. Joe comes in with a, uh, a splinter. Um, and I'm not sure who dug out my old hunting knife. Um, Joe dug out the hunting knife. Andy comes along, I think it was. Uh, do, do you, do, I'm, well, they were there anyway. I'm not sure who it was. But one of them gets hold of the hunting knife. My hunting knife is, is, is sharp, right? It, I mean, it's sharp. So we just got the end of the, the hunting knife. Just poke it into the thing and out pops the, 
out, out pops a splinter from, from a hunting knife. Trust me, it's sharper than your carving knife, right? So this is, it's sharp enough, right? But here's the thing. This hunting knife is sharp enough to oik out a, uh, a, a thorn, but it still isn't suitable for surgery. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to give it to the surgeon. Ah, oh, this will do the job. <laughs> It's probably as sharp as a surgeon's knife, right? I mean, it's the same sharpness, but he's not going to go. <sighs> it's a hunting knife. It's not a surgeon's knife. It's not set apart. It's not fit for purpose. And so there are things in our life that we, just, we can carry on living with because we can do it. I mean, I can use that knife on anything. I've used it many times for all sorts of things, cutting up rabbits and uh, cutting up pheasants and uh, Joseph's hand and, uh, <laughs> and various other things. I've used the knife on, I've used it in the kitchen. Uh, I've, when, when carving knives are always getting blunt and, and uh, so I've used it in, on carving the meat sometimes when no one's around because it's all blackened and dirty and it's had blood and all sorts of things on it. And, and, uh, and uh, you just got to <sighs> lick it off and, and then... Uh, but it's not, it doesn't do the, the things, it doesn't, it, you can't operate with these. Surgeon. See, see, God has created us to be the surgeons of this, of this world, to bring forth his word so that it divides between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. See, the word of God brings the division. And to do that, to do that we have, you have to set your heart apart. You sanctify your heart. Well, what does that mean? It means you separate your heart because we live in this world, right? I mean, we live in this world. I've said this before, that in this world, there have been many, in fact, I think I preached this uh, before a couple of weeks ago, there have been many scenarios where church uh, Christians of holiness movements have risen up. God, you've got to be holy. And uh, it happened in the days of the Puritans. It happened in the early Pentecostal movement. And uh, this holiness movement where they separate themselves. My father grew up in this in church environment. And he wasn't allowed to play with other children in the village because they didn't go to his church. He just went down to the garden, climbed over the fence and played with the neighbours. But my, my grandparents had no idea. And, and so there was this exclusivity. It was, a, it was called gospel standard. It wasn't there. There are other church organizations where people create this holiness but it's not holy at all it's just separate we haven't been called to be separate we've been called to be sanctified and sanctified isn't separate from people it's separate from the nature that causes people to fall what does that mean it means that as we abide in his word, we allow his word to feed us and not this world to feed us. We're friends. We're friends. We have good people. I was chatting with a guy yesterday, had coffee with him. I said, Cheryl, that guy's getting saved. She said, Are you sure? I said, I guarantee you. You sure? Cheryl, are you sure? It's not like she doesn't doubt or anything, but she doesn't believe, you know. But it's like, yeah, it's not in her heart yet. I 
coming away, I, I said, I guarantee he's getting saved. I guarantee he's getting saved. Good friend. Totally unchurched. No concept of church whatsoever. I was just chatting away about situations. And he had a perspective on a shared situation that we had. He had a perspective. And I just said to him, you know that's an answer to prayer, don't you? His life, my life. I'm bringing the word of God because God has made us the head and not the tail. You're the head. What does it say in Deuteronomy 28? You're the head, not the tail. The head, not the tail. The head brings the life. The tail, that oversees all sorts of bad things. In this world, this world is overseeing lots of bad things. We're the head, not the tail. I'm the head, not the tail. I'm set apart as the head. Don't live with the rest in the world. I'm not separate from them. I'm not of them. I'm there with them. We're going to see God do extraordinary things. Prayer of faith changes everything. Prayer of faith changes everything. Prayer of faith changes everything. You've got to believe for the miracles. You've got to believe for the supernatural supply. Some of you have got to believe that God is going to make you multi-millionaires. You've got to believe it. What? God wants you to be a multi-millionaire? Of course he does. He needs you to be wealthy because there's a lot of things that needs paying for. Not just for you to have your Range Rover. Even though those things are perfectly fine. You can change a nation. Change a nation. Jesus had the wealthiest people following him. Wealthy, supporting the ministry. God wants you to believe. You've got to start speaking it out. Stop stop living in the, in the nothing, in the lack, in the sickness. Come on, prayer of faith changes everything. And you've got to start believing for health. You've got to speak health. It's not, it's not just about, I said it a couple of weeks ago, you're, not, you're just not asking. You're asking for the natural, not the impossible. Ask for the impossible. The impossible is total health. The natural is heal me of this current condition. Total health. God wants you totally healthy. Do you understand? It's a, that we've got to do more. Amen. Let's stand up, shall we? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in this house prayer of faith is coming alive. Agents of prayer are beginning to pray and stand up on the inside to declare with great faith the miracle power of God. There is an agents of prayer in this house. I declare it now. The great prayer of faith is arising in this place. As people begin to discover what is existing in their heart, the seed of faith that has been planted on the inside begins to rise up in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.